0: Good morning, everybody. What a blessing to be together! Thank you all for being here. Thank you all of the, all of you who are joining us online as well. Such a blessing to be gathered and worship God together, and to be among the people of God. Celebrate the great things that God has done for us through Christ Jesus our Lord. And uh, think about this: as we were singing, um, Jesus prayed on the night before He died. He prayed that we would be one. As he and the Father are one, that was his desire. John chapter seventeen tells us was that we would all be one. There are a lot of things in this world that threaten our oneness in the body of Christ. There are a lot of challenges, a lot of problems, a lot of cultural cultural difficulties and uh, and problems that affect the oneness of God's people um, and that threaten to destroy, uh, frankly the oneness of God's people. Um, uh, We've talked recently about, uh, over the past year, um, how problems with race have exacerbated uh, problems of unity or or disunity within the body of Christ. And, uh, you know, some people have said, well, the the solution to problems of race is uh, colorblindness. You know, let's just all act like we're all the same. And if we just treat everybody like we're all the same, then uh, racism will go away. And other people have said to that, and I think, I think rightly have criti- criticized that approach and said, hey, you know, actually color blindness is not the problem. It's really a, an appreciation for the diversity of color that we need. That's actually what will help the body of Christ to be one. Um, and I think it comes. it's kind of similar today when we talk about this particular issue, um, which is the value of diversity in the body when it comes to married or unmarried. Um, and, uh, and we want to, as the body of Christ, uh, teach what the scriptures teach about that and appreciate every person in the kingdom of God, regardless of their marital status. Um, kind of ironic and interesting this worked out this way, but today we celebrate um, the anniversary, what is it, 12 years, Tony and Denise? 12, 12 years today that, Annie, that Tony and Denise have been married. Um, And that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. And in their marriage and in all of the marriages in this congregation, we have an opportunity to put on display uh, the glory of God through the way that we love each other and we serve each other. We have an opportunity to to, uh, demonstrate God's glory and his plan. Um, I'm going to argue today from the scriptures that that is equally available for every person who is unmarried. Um, that that opportunity to put on display the glory of God to the world around us is equally uh, is equally available to every member in the body of Christ who is unmarried. And so um, I want to say this at the beginning: when we when we talk about when it comes to marriage, uh, I believe we are caught between two competing cultural idolatries. Uh, the first one I will explain like this: uh, some of you who have come from more traditional cultures uh, like myself, um, from there's this perspective often in traditional cultures that uh, you aren't anyone until you get married. Um, I don't know if any of you guys can relate to that, but uh, I I think some of you can. Uh, From this perspective uh, and in this view, no one is anyone until they actually find a mate, until they're actually in a relationship, until they're actually married. That's what makes you matter. And so often what happens in cultures like this is uh, the goal is to get married as quickly as possible so that we can become somebody. And essentially, um, this way of thinking, I I think the Bible would teach, is rooted in the idolatry of marriage. That is the way to have meaning and the way to get fulfillment in life is through marriage. Um, Of course, here in New York City, where 57 percent of the city is single, there's another culture of thought, I think, that idolizes not marriage, but uh, the freedom of self-fulfillment. Um, that's how I'll describe that. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, um, in some, in some, among some people here in the city, I think marriage is almost looked upon condescendingly or scorned upon. It's like, why would you ever want to get married? What's wrong with you? Why did you choose that? Um don't let yourself get tied down in a relationship and marriage is seen by some as almost some sort of slavery that can destroy all your personal dreams and all your hopes and keep you from reaching your goals for the future. And so staying single is part of staying young and staying free uh and staying able to pursue all of your dreams of self-fulfillment. And of course in this view at least culturally staying single doesn't mean necessarily staying pure. You can sleep with whomever you want. You can even be in a relationship. Just don't get too committed to the point where they can affect your future goals and aspirations and anything that you want to fulfill at the center of this view is, is, is self, the freedom of self fulfillment. And again, this too is idolatry. Let me suggest too that uh, some of us have gotten wrapped up in one of these two forms of idolatry, Uh, I can speak from experience on this. Some of us have given into the idolatry of traditional cultures, where you, where we've been filled with uh, self-loathing or self-hatred because we're not married, and we believe we believe the lie that if we're not married, we aren't really in. Um, others have given into the idolatry uh, of the culture surrounding us because we're we're seeking self-fulfillment, which often includes even our own sexual desires through pornography, through other relationships outside the covenant of marriage and then some of us I can speak from experience on this I think have uh, have at times um, experienced what we might say the best of both worlds or the worst of both worlds and maybe the better way to say that we hate ourselves because we're single uh, while also giving into the sins of that 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 lead us to seek self-fulfillment um, and again unless you think I'm talking about you here I want to admit up here, um, that I can speak to this because I've been there. Um, some of you are wondering, what is a guy who's been, uh, happily married for eight years to have to teach us about living unmarried? What, ma- what some of you may not know is before I came to Brooklyn, I spent more time in my life unmarried than I have spent married. Um, so if I have any area of expertise, it's probably more on the unmarried part than on the marriage part. Um, so, uh, so, so I, that's one thing, but I'll also say this. If the unmarried man in scripture can teach about marriage in the Lord as Jesus and as Paul did, then shouldn't it also be true that the married can teach about living unmarried for the Lord? Um, we can learn, I can learn about marriage from single people, people who are unmarried. Just like you, if you are unmarried, you can learn from married people about how to live unmarried for the Lord. There is much for all of us to learn from the Lord. And so we need to hear what the Lord has to say on this matter, no matter who the vessel is that it comes through. Uh, I, I want to do four things today, and this is what we're going to try to do and try to be timely about this. Um, I'm not going to cover everything that needs to be said about this. Uh, God willing, we are planning to start into the book of First Corinthians next month, and we will spend more time on this and in, in discussion as well when we get there. But what I'd like to do today is, is I want to do four things. First, I want to talk about how living unmarried is an equally viable way of glorifying God in this world. Living unmarried is an equally viable way of glorifying God in this world. Secondly, I want to talk about the gift of living unmarried for the Lord. Thirdly, we'll talk about some challenges that come with living unmarried for the Lord. And finally, I just want to give a few pieces of practical advice, both to the married and the unmarried, about how we can help one another in our walk with the Lord. So first, living unmarried is an equally viable way of glorifying God. Look again at the text that was just read for us, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and in verse 29. I'm going to start even back a little bit further where he says, uh, verse 27, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. If you marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such people as yourselves will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. But this I say, brothers, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though, as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. Those who use the world as though they did not. Make full use of it for the present form of this world is passing away. And I want you to be free from concern. What I want you to notice in this text that Paul is uh, making abundantly clear is that marriage, at least marriage, the temporary kind of marriage in this world, is not the end goal for the Christian. Marriage is not the end goal for the Christian. The truth that underwrites everything that Paul says in this text comes in verse 29, where he says, I say this, brothers, that the time has been shortened. Skip down to verse 31, and he says, "Um, the present form of this world is passing away. And so Paul says, based on that truth, that the time is shortened, and based on the fact that the present world is passing away, there are things that we do now that don't matter to us the same way they used to matter to us before we came to the Lord. For example, we do marry, we do work, we do grieve, and we do mourn. Um, we rejoice, but we do all of these things in light of the future. Think about this, we work to get wealth, but we don't work to get wealth like those outside work to get wealth because we know that God is giving us the ultimate wealth when we are with him in the kingdom of God forevermore in heaven. We mourn and we rejoice just like the world mourns. And just like the world rejoices, but we do not grieve like those who do not have hope. As Paul said in first Thessalonians, we do not rejoice like those who, 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 who uh, rejoice in the world. Say, let me say that another way. We don't, we don't put our ultimate joy in the things of this world. We put our ultimate joy in the things that are yet to come. And so we may choose to marry and we may choose to be given in marriage, but we do it in light of the fact that God is giving the ultimate family in the future. As great a wedding as uh, we experienced a few years back and as great a wedding as many of you may have experienced, the, all of the, the most beautiful and the most amazing wedding you've ever been to pales in comparison to the great wedding supper that we await when we're with the Lord. And that truth underlies all of Paul's teaching in this chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Because of this, marriage, even if it's at its best, is never gonna be the ultimate joy. It is never gonna be the ultimate hope. Everything we do as saints of God, as people of God is done in light of the future and what God has in store for us. Um, the reason this text is so important is because what this does for us is it, e- the gospel is equalizing the, the married and the unmarried in the Lord. Do you see that? That's what Paul is doing here. He's saying that in light of the gospel, what matters most is not your marital status, whether you're single or married. What matters most is whether you are united with the Lord. Therefore, marriage is, is neither the end goal nor is it something that should be scorned. There's value to marriage. Read Ephesians chapter five, where Paul talks about the beauty of what marriage can become in the Lord. Uh, And and yet right after Jesus gave that parable, you remember where he gave that parable comparing um, the kingdom of God to a wedding banquet? Right after that, the Sadducees came and they wanted to question him about marriage and the resurrection. And do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 and in verse 30? He said, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor will they be given in marriage. That is to say, whatever marriage you're in in this life ends when one of you dies. And after that, when you go and stand before the Lord and you are with the Lord for all eternity, we're not not married or given in marriage in heaven. We are like angels of heaven. They're married to the Lord. And so again, in light of the future eternity, whether we marry or whether we don't marry, it's just not the most important thing. It's not the end goal to be married. And uh, we know that because Jesus didn't feel the need to be married, even though he spent a number of years, even though on this earth, even though he was made in the flesh with the same desires and the same inclinations and the same, uh, the same flesh that we had. Yet for him, having been where he came from, Jesus understood this so much better than we do. Having been where he came from, Jesus understood that the wedding supper of the lamb would be enough. That, that would ultimately be enough to satisfy. And the reunion of all God's people, heaven and earth coming back together, would be all, the ultimate joy that he was chasing after. So again, the end goal for, is not for us to get married. The end goal is for us to be with the Lord at the resurrection. And everything we do as saints of God, we do in light of the future resurrection, in which there is no marriage except to the Lamb of God. All right, that truth and that principle undergirds everything else we're going to talk about um, in this uh, in this discussion today. But I want to scoop back a little bit to chapter seven, verses seven and eight. And I want to talk about the gift of living unmarried for the Lord. Look at chapter seven, verses seven and eight, um, where Paul says this. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each has his own gift from God, one in this way and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. Then Paul goes on to say in verse 9, if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Notice here, when Paul speaks about gifts, and he does this all throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, um, most notably in chapters 12 through 14, Um, What does Paul mean by a gift? Well, the word for gift uh, comes from the word for grace. And the idea of a gift is it's something that God is giving. It's an ability that God gives to build up. It's an it's an ability that God gives you in order to build up his body. Many of us may be wondering, like, how do I know? If I've been given this gift of singleness, this gift of being unmarried, how do I know if I've received that? Paul talks about here uh, that as being a gift, um, but then says each has its own gift from God. How do I know what my gift is? Um, uh, I think one of the most helpful responses to that question that I've heard is this. Someone said, as long as you have it, it's a gift from God. Just as marriage will be God's gift if you ever receive it. We should receive our situation in life, whether it's singleness or marriage, as a gift of God's grace to us. I think that's exactly right. We need to realize that marriage is a grace, but also to be unmarried is a grace. It is a gift from God. And your current circumstance that you're in, whether married or unmarried, is a gift from God to you. It's a grace, an opportunity that God is giving you to build up the body of Christ. And I just want to add to that, that God doesn't leave any of his people ungifted. There is a variety of gifts in the body, but there is no one in the body of Christ who is without a gift. In the body of Christ, God does not leave any of his people ungifted. What that means is if you are unmarried, it is not that God has forgotten you or that God has ignored you or that God has neglected you in the giving of his gifts. No, he has given you grace, and the grace that he's given you, he he wants you to use for his glory. I want to add to that, though. This does not mean and should not mean that you should feel any sort of guilt if you are uh, unmarried, but you desire to be married. Uh, It doesn't mean that you shouldn't pray to be married or that you shouldn't pursue that. What it does mean is that you should not despise the season of life that you are in. You should learn to appreciate the seasons of life that God gives you. And instead, we all need to come to appreciate the fact that God has given us abilities and even responsibilities to serve and honor him. These are God's graces, God's gifts to us. So this calling of God while living unmarried, it's not without a struggle, but neither should it be a misery. This gift of singleness, as long as you may be graced to have it, should be a season of fruitfulness produced by the spirit of God while you live unmarried for the Lord. Now, somebody might say to this, like, wait a second. I got an objection here. You start in Genesis one and in Genesis two, God says it's not good for man to be alone. And right there in Genesis 2, God says we were created to be married. Look, he has this, this whole wedding ceremony. Talks about this is now bone in my bone, flesh in my flesh. Um, you know, the two shall become one flesh. What you're saying here, Caleb, is that uh, that you can be equally viable or equally useful in the kingdom of God while unmarried. That doesn't seem to fit with that. And to what, what I would respond to that is, yes, it is not good for man to be alone. But marriage is not the only way that God provided for man to not be alone. And in fact, in Ephesians five, when Paul speaks about the beauty of marriage and what marriage can become at the end of that, you remember what he says, talking about Christ and the church. Now there's a lot that I think that means. But one of the things that that means is that actually what God intends Marriage to represent or to point us toward is a more ultimate relationship with, a, with an eternal family. Think about this. The difference between the church family that you're a part of and uh, your, married, your marriage is that your marriage will end in death. But your church family will endure forever. That is, your relationship with the Lord and with his people is an eternal family. And those who are living unmarried for the Lord are not alone. They are part of an eternal family that unlike marriage in the world, it's going to last forever. So think about this. Marriage is not the only way, nor is it even the primary way that God would eternally fulfill our need for companionship. It is not the only way that God fulfills our longings to not be lonely. Jesus calls himself the bridegroom, though he never actually was married. He spent all of his years uh, on earth as a single man. Yet he called himself the bridegroom. The Bible ends, the book of Revelation. Do you know how the Bible ends? How does the Bible end? The Bible ends with God getting married. God is getting married to his people. Why? Because marriage in this world is not the goal. The marriage of heaven and earth is. The marriage of God and his people is. The reunion of the Lord and his people. That's how the scriptures began. And that is how the scriptures end. And so because of that, We need to think about this living in a city that is 57% single being in churches uh, that have been, have pretty much reflected or mirrored those percentages. I've come to see more and more the need for unmarried Christians in the body of Christ, in the church of God, those unmarried who are living for the Lord are a gift both to this church specifically and to the church More broadly, and I I want to tell you, if you're here and you are unmarried, don't say in your heart, because I'm not married, I'm not a part of the body. Don't talk like that. That is not true. Ultimately, God has given to each of us grace and gifts that we can use to build up his body. And there are advantages to living unmarried in the kingdom of God or to use the Bible word. There are graces, there are gifts to living in the kingdom of God as an unmarried man. Let me just share a few of those. Um, And there's a whole lot more than these that I'm sharing. But let me share a few of those. One, as Paul points out here in 1 Corinthians 7, is uh, an undistracted devotion to the Lord. Some of you guys have mentioned that when I've talked to you about being unmarried. What's one of the greatest blessings of that? Uh, And you've mentioned that. And I will tell you, having now been married for a few years, uh, that that is true. That is one of the greatest blessings of being unmarried is an uninterrupted devotion to God. To be able to just sit down and spend time with the Lord and not have any distractions or any interruptions. Um, There are mothers, probably mothers in this church, who, who cannot remember the last time they sat down and had an uninterrupted 30 minutes of time alone with the Lord. That is a blessing from God. And you ought not despise that or waste that time that the Lord grants you. Uh, I'll I'll add to that too, um, that there is, for those who are unmarried, there is a a gift of breadth, and I would argue also depth of friendship and intimacy that you can have as an unmarried person. Um, It's just a fact of life that Lindsay and I are not nearly as close to many of our friends since the time we got married. Marriage has a way of turning you inward and leading you to focus on your family and not be able to be everything that you used to be to all of your friends. Um, so the breadth of an unmarried person's friendships are, are generally going to be broader than the person who is, who is married. Uh, and, and let me just say this, too. Friendship can be an extraordinarily sanctifying experience. Sometimes we read Ephesians 5 and we say, oh, well, in order to get in order to get this kind of sanctification, I need to be married. Um, Well, actually, the truth is that a whole lot of the sanctifying experience that marriage is supposed to produce can actually also be produced in very close platonic friendships that develop the intimacy that God has desired us to have in the church. It is true that there are certain things that are reserved for the marriage covenant. But it is also true that there's a whole lot of intimacy to be found in close relationships. Some of us know that from experience. We've experienced relationships like that where we have a friend who's closer than a brother or even closer than, as David said, uh, this friend is closer to me than my own wife, you know? Uh, that happens in life and, and, and can be experienced. Experience. Um, I'll just add to that. Somebody, somebody said this to me this week, um, that because they're unmarried, uh, there are things that some people are, have an easier time talking to them about uh, that they wouldn't be able to talk to other people about. Um, that they are unique unique there's a uniqueness closeness to their relationships because of the situation uh that they are in some things it's easier to talk to an unmarried member about than it is to talk to a married member about i heard a story about this where um one married couple had a had someone over who was unmarried and uh they were telling about the they, the unmarried one was talking about how how's it been with your newborn and uh and the married couple said oh well, I guess since you're single, we can talk to you about this. And they, they wanted to say, like, hey, actually, our baby's been sleeping through the night. It's been wonderful. But they didn't feel like they could say that to any of the married couples because they would be upset or cause division or cause jealousy. They felt no problem sharing that with somebody who was unmarried and sharing that joy. That's the beauty of God's kingdom. Diversity allows for us to build one another up, to share with one another, and to encourage one another. And so don't despise that. If you're in a season of, of being unmarried— Don't despise the gift of that breadth and also the depth of friendships that you can produce and the intimacy that comes from that. Some people seem to think, though, uh, also that being unmarried unmarried can be a hindrance to ministry. And I think this is largely because uh, in the qualifications that Paul gave to pastors in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, in both of those places, uh, it includes uh, a pastor is to be a one woman man. Uh, the implication being that they would be married. And I think some the, some people get from that uh, the idea that, um, that therefore, if you really want to minister for the Lord, you need to be married. Um, but the irony in that statement is that Paul himself, who wrote that, is not married. And I don't know that I would argue there's a whole lot of people who are more useful as a minister than Paul himself, Right. Think about this. Serving as an elder or pastor is just one form of ministry. There are many different ways to minister and to serve in the kingdom of God. And who, how would you answer this question? Who is more vital to the work of the kingdom of God? Was it Peter or was it Paul? I don't know how to answer that. Peter was pretty important, right? And he was married. Paul was very important and he was unmarried. Both were critically important to the work of God. And what that teaches us is that either situation can be an opportunity for advancing God's kingdom. There are opportunities to minister that you have as an unmarried member of this group. There are opportunities for you to minister that married members will not be able to. There are people that you can serve that married members will not be able to reach in the same way that you can. There are going to be uh, people who have needs at certain times where married members are unavailable, that you are able to go and to lay down your life for them and to serve them and to take care of them while they're in need. And we need to recognize that and appreciate that. Some of the most generous members in this congregation uh, are members who are unmarried, who have chosen to devote large portions of the money that they make to to promoting the gospel of God and, and, and to building up the church of God and to taking care of needy saints in the kingdom of God. Add to that the time itself is a grace. And that is something that being unmarried, you have extra amounts of compared to the married members. That time can be used to serve and to build up and to, and to develop deeper and stronger bonds with brothers and sisters that sometimes married members can't develop with other members in the congregation. And we shouldn't despise that or miss out on that. Lastly, I'll say to this, and this is related to the ministry part, there's a flexibility that comes with being unmarried uh, that married members uh, do not have. Um, trying to get the family out of the door in New York City in the winter can be an all-day event. I don't know if you, those of you who are unmarried know that, yeah, but just talk to some of the married couples here with young kids. Trying just to get out the door can take us all day sometimes. You there. There's a flexibility that you have when you are unmarried to do things that other people cannot do. I've probably been late more times in the past seven years since I got married than I was in all 26 of the years prior to that. And that was not Lindsay's fault either, just so you know, and I don't get in trouble after this. Um, But in the years prior to getting married, I I was able to travel to West Africa, to Southern Africa, across the Caribbean, Central America, serving the saints, preaching the gospel. Since we got married, I've traveled once uh, to do those kind of trips. It's just not the same. You don't have the same kind of flexibility that you did before when you're married and you have children. That is a gift that God has given to those of you who are unmarried, to be able to drop things on a dime and go and serve someone in need or take a call uh, or, or help somebody minister to them. It's a gift that God has given. Now I hope I don't, I'm not giving the impression here that to, to be single or to be unmarried um, is an easy thing because I don't believe the Bible teaches that it is. Uh, There are a lot of challenges that come with living unmarried for the Lord. And those challenges may be different for every person. And they may depend on the season of life that a person is in too. Don't assume that every unmarried person is going to have the, is going to experience these same challenges. There's the little daily frustrations of uh, having to check that box marked single on your tax returns and not getting some of the tax credits that you would as uh, if you had a family. Right. Um, There's uh, going to the grocery store, being faced with the two for one specials, but knowing that actually if you buy two, you're probably going to end up throwing one away. Right. Um, And some of you, uh, you know, you're trying to build furniture uh, when a helping hand is needed and it can be difficult uh, being unmarried. Um, Showing up to events or gatherings alone um, can be hard uh, and challenging and difficult. Coming home after a long day of work and wanting to talk, but not knowing who to call. Like Those are real frustrations and real hardships. Now, you might say, well, any one of those is not that big of a deal. But, you know, when those things just pile up and add up, they can be challenging. They can be difficult. And and it's important for us to acknowledge the difficulties uh, and challenges that those who are unmarried are going to face in the kingdom of God. Um, I want to deal with four things here that I think are especially challenging. One is perception Uh, and particularly perceptions in the church of God. There's not much we can do about perceptions that people outside in our culture have of us. Um, But it ought to be that the Lord shapes our perceptions that we have towards one another. And and one sister said it this way, when people assume that there's something wrong with you or that you still have issues that you need to work on in order to be with someone. Some people equate uh, being single to there's something wrong with you. And, And some of us grew up thinking that was true. If you're in a space or a culture where everyone thinks that way, it's hard to get out of that narrative. It's like you're constantly defending yourself, especially the longer and the older you get. And isn't that true? Some of us act like we think that, hey, if you're not, if you're not married, there must be something wrong. And if you are married, there must be there, you must have done something right. The truth is that actually in marriage, uh, many people are married and miserable. Many people in this world, and even sometimes people in the kingdom of God are married and they have great challenges in that. Just because a person is married doesn't mean that they've done something right. And just because a person is unmarried doesn't mean that they've done everything wrong. Um, Somebody else said, another sister said this, personally, one of the hardest parts has been enduring the well-meaning people who ask insensitive questions about my marital status or treat me as though I'm broken and pining away incomplete. It can be difficult to have conversations when you know they aren't actually seeing you but are projecting what they think your emotional state and viewpoint should be. You can want something, yet not let that desire lead you. And overall, I think some people tend to come from a well-meaning, yet not a fully understanding place. This is important for those of us who are married. This is important. Not every person who is unmarried is in the same place or thinking the same things or having the same kinds of struggles. The only way I'm gonna know what their needs are is for me to practice that hospitality that we studied about this week and get to know them and love them. That's how I'll know exactly what their needs are. So there's a problem of per- the challenge of perception. There's also the challenge of intimacy. Um, and I mentioned earlier that this is one of the gifts of being uh, unmarried, is the breadth of intimacy that you can that you can develop. But when you read passages like Ephesians 5 as an unmarried person, and you see the beauty of marriage as God designed it to be, it's, it's hard not to long for, for that. It's hard not to have a deep desire for that, where we would be sanctified and prepared for that ultimate marriage with Christ. I do want to say to uh, those of you who are unmarried, though, some of us who are married are longing for that too, right? Um, That is to say that some of us who are married are not experiencing the fullness of Ephesians 5 in our marriages, and we're still works in progress on that as well. And let me just add to that as well, what makes marriage special, the fact that it points us so this deep intimacy with God is also, is also what makes uh, marriage um, actually not too special. Let me say that a different way. What, make, what makes marriage special is also what keeps us from making too much of marriage. That is to say, yes, marriage is a special way in which you can experience sanctification and grow into that oneness like God desires with us. But it's also not the greatest way. The greatest the greatest experience of sanctification comes through that submission and that obedience to the Lord. That is in our marriage with God, our willingness to submit to him and to obey him and to do his will. That is what is going to produce in us. Um, ultimately, that is what is g- going to produce in us a, the deepest intimacy that we so deeply desire. And that's why Paul could live without marriage. That's why Paul says to, to unmarried people, he says, hey, I wish you guys were all like me. I realize some of you won't be. Some of you need to get married for self-control reasons. But I just wish for you guys that you could all be like me. Paul realized that he could develop intimacy with God even without being married. Well, let's talk a little bit about sexuality here. There's no, design, there's no denying the fact that sexual temptation While it's a real problem for every member of the body of Christ, um, or at least for the vast majority of us, it's especially challenging for members who are unmarried for a number of reasons. um, Really, the only lasting way to overcome sexual sin is, uh, is to do what Joseph did and to fix your eyes on God. Do you remember when Potiphar said to Joseph, come lie with me? Joseph hadn't been with a woman like, I don't know, years, maybe his whole life. He'd never been with a woman. And she says, come in lie with me. What was it that motivated Joseph to say no to that otherwise enticing request? Remember what Joseph said? How could I do this great sin against God? It was his deep love for God and his deep intimate relationship with God and his acknowledgement that even through all the hardships he'd been through, the Lord had been there with him and the Lord was faithful to him in those things that led him to stay faithful to God in that moment. And part of making much of God is not making too much of sexual fulfillment. And I want you to think about that. Part of making much of God is not making too much of sexual fulfillment. Now, again, in our culture, this is really difficult because sexual fulfillment is a, And, 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 and um, romance is at the heart of everything that we see around us. I mean, this is February. This is the month of Valentine's Day. I mean, that's what we do. We romanticize self-fulfillment, but especially sexual fulfillment. That's what makes the money in the movies, right? That's what makes, that's what draws people in. And, and one of the great challenges of being unmarried is the question I think many of us have struggled with is, um, well, am I just supposed to sit here and waste uh, my years um, sexually? Am I just supposed to sit here and, 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 and forget and forget about all that? Think of it though this way. Uh, I, someone said this. I thought this was helpful. Essentially, singleness is a means through which you can bear witness to the reality that something greater is to come. This is an opportunity for us. It's a way of declaring to a world so blinded and obsessed with sexual and romantic intimacy. It is a way for us to show that these things are actually not the ultimate things. These things are actually not the most important things. And that in Christ, we possess all we need in order to be fulfilled. You thought about that? Ultimately, single Christians who abstain from sex outside the marriage bond bear witness to the faithful nature of God's love in the same way that someone who is protecting sex in a marriage covenant bears witness to the beauty of God's love as well. We need to appreciate that, recognize that. Denying self of something that is good um, may be just as potent a picture of God's faithfulness, and God's love as helping yourself to it. Both married and unmarried Christians can live with their sexuality in a way that that shows that the kingdom of God has come near and that God's character is faithful and his love endures. And we gotta gotta stay faithful with that. Uh, Let me share one more here before we wrap up. Um, One of the hardest parts about living unmarried for the Lord is the lack of a nuclear family. Um, I think that's a real challenge. Uh, Someone to talk to about the highs and the lows of the day Somebody to share your fears with, to go to those scary doctor's appointments with, to uh, celebrate all your greatest joys and accomplishments, and to be able to enjoy raising children together. This is, I think, uh, one of the hardest parts of living unmarried for the Lord. And there's no way to to sugarcoat that. Um, It's fair and it's right, and I think it's real for any member who's struggling with that to grieve those things. But I do want to say something about this. Don't say, and I, I really hope that if you're, a, if you're a member of this church that you don't feel this way. Don't say that because I don't have a nuclear family, I am not part of a family. Paul compared himself to a father. Paul compared himself to a nursing mother. Paul spoke, uh, even though he never had a nuclear family he, of his own, he spoke of having children. I thank, I thank God. That though I was blessed to have two parents who trained me to love the Lord, they also encouraged me to have many fathers in the faith and many mothers in the faith. And to this day, some of those fathers and some of those mothers are unmarried. People who are unmarried who treated me like a child in the faith and loved me and cared for me. And I want to tell you, every member of God's family has a family. And every nuclear family that is a part of this family of God is simply a subgroup of a greater family of God. So with that, let me just share a few pieces of advice before we end. First, um, for those who are married, uh, how do we help those who are living unmarried for the Lord? Um, first, uh, avoid giving the impression that being married makes one more spiritual or complete in this world. Uh, there's a lot of ways that we do this. I'm just going to share one. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes married couples we only talk to people who are unmarried about relationships. Um, sometimes it, what may happen is that we don't actually talk to unmarried people in our church until they're in a relationship. Uh, and what we're doing, when we, we we certainly wouldn't mean it this way, but what we're doing when that when we do that. Is, is we're showing them that, hey, actually, you need a relationship or you need to be married in, in order to be somebody. or You need this relationship. And, and that's not helpful. And it's, and it's not healthy, especially in a world where there are always going to be uh, unmarried members among us. Um, secondly, uh, make unmarried members a part of your family. If you're a married couple, if you're a married family here, make unmarried members a part of your family. Now, I realize that there have to be boundaries and guidelines to protect the intimacy in a marriage, and we should not be careless about that. But having said that, remember that your family is simply a subgroup of this eternal family of God that you're joined to. And we need to act like that. We need to live life not just with our spouse and our kids, but with our brothers and our sisters. Um, let people be a part of our families. One, one sister mentioned having a friend who would never talk about married life with her for fear that it would remind her of how single she was. Um, And while this sister may have had good intentions, it also limits the amount of intimacy that could be developed within the relationship. You can't actually share the joys, the highs and the lows of life. If you're not willing to share that part of your life. Um, Another sister mentioned that she's often been in churches where married members don't even have unmarried members in their homes at all. Um, Or even worse, that married members don't take an interest in unmarried members until they're in a relationship, giving the impression that being in a relationship with someone is what really matters. Um, If we care for our unmarried members, we need to be talking to them not just about relationships, but about the Lord, the thing that that brings us together, that unites us thing that's most important to us, caring for their spiritual health. Um, Let me just add one more thing on this. Uh, We need to seek to learn from unmarried members. Uh, the best teaching ever given on marriage came from an unmarried man. That was Jesus, right? Um, some married members think they'll grow best by spending the vast majority of their time with other married members. Not only is that a way though of showing partiality that is totally un like it's, um, it's also a way of leading people uh, to think that uh, they need a relationship in order to be a part of the group, Um which may encourage people to jump into unhealthy relationships uh, that may end up lead them away from the Lord rather than closer to the Lord. So be careful about that um, and be thoughtful about that. I remember when we started dating uh, that I learned a lot about marriage from my conversations with our brother, Richard, who ironically at the time you guys know Richard as a married man, but at the time Richard was not yet married. Um, and he gave me lots of advice, both while dating and then after I got married. He gave me lots of advice about, uh, about how to love my wife and how to care for her. Um, actually, now in this group, many of our unmarried members have helped me in so many ways in my marriage. Uh, and I thank God for you. I'll be forever grateful to God for the ways in which you've helped in that way. So that's important. Um, let me end with this, though. Some advice just for those of you who are, un- are unmarried. Firstly, just use the gift that God has given you to be filled up with God. To do this, you're going to need to live a completely countercultural life Um, because the irony of this, actually one of the reasons why the single life is preferable for many New Yorkers is because we want to be single for the purpose of distractions. Distractions. That is, we want to be single so that we can go chase after all these other things, which are ultimately, in light of the time being shortened, they're distractions. They're things that are leading us away from God. Singleness today is not designed to increase devotion to the Lord. Secular singleness seeks freedom from the entanglements of marriage, not for the Lord, but actually for independence or for a desire to satisfy some someone's own Immediate desires, a desire to maybe go travel the world, do the things we want to do. And so we fear commitments that may keep us from doing those sorts of things, it may keep us from a life of self-fulfillment. But Jesus didn't come here to suffer and to die and to live that difficult life that he lived and to endure the cross simply so that we could go live our lives for self-fulfillment. In fact, he came here and died to show us that the only way we would ever get self-fulfillment is to find our fulfillment, not in self, but in God himself. And I want to tell you this, whether you're single or whether you're married, whether you're, whether you're married or whether you're unmarried, you will never be satisfied in marriage or outside of marriage until you are satisfied with the Lord. You'll never be ready for marriage if you're unmarried until you're content with the Lord. Only the Lord can satisfy your deepest longings. So number two, recognize that if you are miserable unmarried, marriage will not fix that. It's not going to take that away. It's not going to solve that misery. The only thing that can do that is contentment, learning the secret of contentment. So I'll end with that. Contentment comes from Christ. And it comes from resting your hope in the future that he has in store for you. See, this is the thing about God. God has not promised that he will answer your prayers about who you would who you want to marry or that he will answer your prayers even that you will get married in the short term. God never promised that. What God did promise is that he's got a far better marriage awaiting you than anything in this world. And so make the future of God real enough to you through the devoting yourself to prayer, to the word, to seeing God in scripture. Make that future that God has in store for you real enough in your heart so that Jesus becomes enough to you so that you'll be truly fulfilled. I'll end with a quote from a sister um, who's lived much of her life single, um, but is now pursuing marriage. And this quote has brought me uh, great joy um, this week and encouragement. She said this, she said, enjoy your time with the Lord in singleness. She said, I wouldn't trade any of the intimacy that I've gained with the Lord during this time for the comfort of simply having a spouse. I want to read that again. She said, "Enjoy your time with the Lord in singleness. I wouldn't trade any of the intimacy that I've gained with the Lord during this time for the comfort of simply having a spouse. How I've grown in identity and love is incomparable. Every season has its own unique set of struggles, so before you long for the seemingly greener grass, I learn to tend to properly tend properly to my own. May God help us." In whatever situation and circumstance we're in to use those graces those gifts to honor him and to serve him and may we as the people of god come to value and love and appreciate every member every gift every grace and the diversity of it that god has put us in his kingdom let us pray father help us we desperately need your help both married and unmarried we are quick to seek fulfillment in all the wrong places Those of us who are married, we often end up crushing our spouses with our expectations and our desires that we're seeking to be fulfilled in them. Those of us who are unmarried, we're often uh, seeking in all the wrong places and we end up hurting other people and we end up uh, feeling more and more empty inside ourselves. We desperately need the healing that you alone, Lord, can provide. And we pray, dear God, that you would do that. You would work in us to make the future real to us. Help us, Lord, to remember that the time is short. That there is a greater marriage awaiting us, the marriage supper of the Lamb, in which we will have all our longings deeply fulfilled when we're reunited with you. Help us, Lord, to long for that day more and more and to live every day in light of that truth. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.